on this wine and grape theme. Some of you know the Vintner out at Houston Winery, Houston Vineyards. Uh, he, Greg and Mary, he gave me this interesting insight into vine dressing. It's just a, it's a delight to live in Idaho There's, with all the, the vineyards. Tennessee doesn't have that. But you might remember a few years ago, we had a really harsh winter. There was a long, deep freeze. If you've moved here recently, you don't know this. We had a long, deep freeze. I think people called it snowpocalypse. Schools were closed for a week. And not surprisingly, it had some effects on the vineyards. Uh, when spring came, the uninitiated, like me, were surprised to see um, everything looked good. It looked amazing. It's, everything was budding out. The vines were flowering. The bees were buzzing. Pollination, everything seemed well for a time. Oh, how is that possible? But the vintner knew otherwise. He knew you can't judge by early appearances. When there's been a hard freeze, and this is what he explained, if you cut back a foot from the blossoms, everything, it looks good, blossoming. You cut back a foot, you'll find that the branch is for all practical purposes dead. It's hollowed out. It's, it's sapped. Its strength is dried. It's been choked by the freeze. Tiny bit of life is seeping to the end, but that can't last. And in a short time, all the blossoms just fall to the ground, fruitless. Much energy expended, no fruit. This is it's discouraging because if that freeze has been long and deep like it was, the only thing you can do is cut the vine down. Cut it all the way back to the stump. Because there is, wonder of wonders, life in the stump. The whole thing can be dead, but there is life in the stump. There are vines that have endured this kind of deep freeze and cutting back for 400 years. There are vines in Europe that are 400 years old. Because there's life in the roots, there's life in the stump. And if it's cut back, that vine will grow again. And God gave us that image. He gave, he built it into the world. And he has come back to it through the scriptures many times. He uses this image of the vine. Like sheep, as I said to the kids, like sheep are the favorite animal metaphor. The grapevine was his preferred plant metaphor. And consistently, the vine stood for Israel. As in Psalm 80, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. And then further on, turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see, have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. Have regard for your vine. And as I was telling them, grapes were this ancient symbol of blessing. And Israel was to be a blessing for all the nations. So now, as we come to our gospel passage, we've been going through the gospel of John. In the upper room, the night before his crucifixion, 
He's just told the disciples, rise, let us be going. Just before they go out to the Mount of Olives, just before his betrayal, Jesus takes up this metaphor. He says, I am the true vine. I am, I am the true Israel. Now this would make sense to them. This would click into place. As Israel's king, he both leads them, he also represents them. Yeah, yes, you are Israel, yes. He said some really confusing things about, about uh, going to, to depart. But now he's coming back to the main vision, and, and they can get a hold of this. This is the vision they've believed in. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the king. And those who are under his rule are in Israel. Yes, I'm the true vine. You are the branches. Yes, that's right. He's the one who's going to give life to God's people. And we're part of that. They all knew this. This is the ancient story. They knew that the goal of being under his rule was to bless the nations. That's what Israel was for, to be fruitful, as he indicates in verses 5 and 8. That fruitfulness he's talking about, this was to fulfill the purpose promised to Abraham, which we read, I will make you, Abram, a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's what God's choosing of this people was all about. That's what delivering them from Egypt was all about. That's why he had covenanted with them. That's why he kept coming back to them despite their unfaithfulness. To be a blessing. They were called to be the means of blessing for the world. And so for this vine of Israel, being fruitful will be blessing for the world. And it will give honor to the, to the creator. It will give honor to their God. And so Jesus tells his new kingdom, he tells this new gathering of disciples, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. I'm the vine, you're the branches. As you bear fruit, this blessing happens. This thing that has been in motion for 1,800 years by producing works of righteousness, by demonstrating the character of the vine as you show my character by showing what kind of vine this is, by showing how much goodness is in it, Almighty God will be glorified. That big idea they could get a hold of. They were brought up on it. He's speaking their language. They used to think they knew how this would be done. Even as he's going around Galilee and then Judea, they thought they knew how this would going down. The vine flourishes. Jesus will scatter his enemies. He'll win big. Big win for Jesus means big wins for us. He'll bring the power of God to bear. These Gentiles will be driven out. 
the vine will flourish. But now he's told them that he's going to depart, and yet somehow he'll still be with them. And somehow his being with them is going to mean they're flourishing. So how is this vine going to flourish? How can this be done? You away. He begins with Israel. Verse 2. Every branch in me, every branch in Israel, that does not bear fruit, meaning it's dead. Remember the image of the vine. Every branch that is not producing fruit, it's functionally dead. It's not drawing life. He takes away. Every branch in Israel that is not in him, he takes away. That is, he removes it, separating true Israel from simply ethnic Israel. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. And then he tells how this pruning comes about. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. How does this pruning happen? You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. The English language, which all of our Bibles are in probably, it conceals from us that the words clean and prune are the same word. One's a noun version, the other's the verb version. Same root. Could be translated in the clunky way. You are already having been pruned because of the word I've spoken to you. you are all, he says, you are already clean because you are already having been pruned. Or also clunky, every branch that bears fruit, he cleans so that it may bear more fruit. And you have been cleaned by the word. Every branch that bears fruit, he cleans so that it may bear more fruit. And you have been cleaned by the word. So cleaning, pruning, cutting back. This must happen in the vine of Jesus Christ. Cutting back. To be alive. To bear fruit. To be part of the living God. To be part of the eternal, everlasting kingdom of the living God means cleaning, pruning, Cutting back. It must happen in you. At first, that doesn't sound very good. Cleaning, cutting back must happen in you. But here's the gospel heart of this message. Verses 4 to 5. Abide in me. Remain in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Again, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
So this is the stumbling block of the gospel. This is why it's so hard for a human being to submit to Christ. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I say, no way. Uh, that strikes at my pride. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Surely there's some good I can do without Jesus. Surely I can be winsome towards God. Surely there are things I can do that will incline him to me. Something on my own. But Jesus says he must be involved in anything for it to be good. He insists that every good comes from God. Any participation in what's lasting, anything that has eternal life, like actual life in it, any belonging in the kingdom, every good and perfect thing comes down from the Father, from connection to God himself. And he says, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, Neither can you, unless you abide in me. And then I'm forced to admit that without Jesus, I will always try to make myself worthy. I'm always trying to do it. I'll try to justify myself. I'll try to always be in the right. And I can't admit even a little wrong I have to be 100% right all the time because if I'm not 100% right, then I need cleaning. And I don't want that. That's the stumbling block. I can be blameless on my own. I insist. But Jesus confronts us. He confronts us with the gospel. We do not have life in ourselves. It's just not there. Nor can we clean ourselves. Life comes from him. Cleansing comes from him. I can't save myself. Not only can I not save myself, I can't improve myself. There isn't life just in my flesh. It has to come from him. How do I abide? This is the terror. Because I just don't seem to. Do you? I sure don't seem to abide. I seem always to wander. I seem always to be like the sheep. And then as soon as I stop trying to justify myself and justify the, the nasty things that I've just said or done, then I realize my pride and I realize what a selfish, rotten lump of flesh and worldliness that I am. How can I possibly abide in Christ? Because I don't. Maybe this is just me, and it's time to replace the pastor. Um, <laughs> merciful God, merciful God, he has already told us. He's already told us here. If we can just hold on to it, 
He's giving us this image of the grapevine. The father is the vine dresser. The grapevine cannot dress itself. You have been cleaned by the word I have spoken to you. It's passive. That's a passive voice. You have been cleaned by the word I have spoken to you. In a vine, it's the cleaning. It's the pruning. The cleaning and the pruning causes the abiding. The cleaning and the cutting back causes the remaining. It causes that abiding. If you've received the word into your soul, received the living word, the word who is Christ. You've received God in you. You've received him into yourself. Remember what he said in chapter 14, verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will hold fast to my word. He'll treasure my word and my father will love him and we will come and we will make our home with him. So with this vine image, he's building on that truth. He himself, by his word, cleanses our hearts, comes and makes his home with us. And having been made a part of him, he now does more pruning, more cleaning to the end that we abide. His word of life continues to do the work of life. The word of life continues to do the work of life by cutting away what is dead in us. When he cuts away what is dead in us, he causes us to draw more life from the vine. That's how a vine works. If only we were all vine vintners, we would know this. It would just be like they received it. The cutting must happen. The cutting causes us to draw life from the central vine. He makes us to abide. The vine dresser is at work. Yes. Jesus reminds the disciples, he reminds us, that having the life of God is not a matter of appearances. So like the branches after the freeze I mentioned, it can be much flowering. Just being part of, as he said to them, just being part of ethnic Judaism didn't mean the people had faith in God. So like many of the Pharisees, had a very moral life, demonstrating their morality. But they had no faith in God, many we also, we can be part of the visible church. We can spend a lifetime part of the visible church, tending to appearances, tending to our behavior, and yet we refuse to accept the gospel that our life comes from God. Not from ourselves, not from our behavior. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And there will be a reckoning. There will be a reckoning when all appearances will be stripped away. The eternal vine will continue in glory, 
continue in fruitfulness, continue giving honor to the Lord while the dead branches will be broken off. The gospel's hard because it cuts at our pride. We, we guard that. We guard our pride. We guard that part of ourselves. But at the same time, if we can just receive it, what a liberating joy. How, I mean, how liberating this is that I can admit that I just can't make myself good. <laughs> That's so relieving. I, I do actually, this is not just rhetoric, I do actually struggle with being a, a selfish jerk. And how relieving to admit it. How right, how freeing, how true to say, I need the God of the universe. That's why it's good news for all of us. And so acknowledging that need, what we're doing is we're yielding ourselves to the hand of the vine dresser. Just yield. We let him do the work of pruning. We let him do the work of cutting back what must be excised from us. And we do this. He's told us already, we do this by letting his words take hold of us. Yielding to them, holding fast to his words, letting them have the effect in us of recreating, bringing to life that his word always has. And cleansing happens. Change happens. With the result that what we want changes. This is embedded here too. Verse 7. If you abide in me, my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father's glorified, that you bear fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. We don't prove to be his disciples when we ask for riches and honor. We don't prove to be his disciples when we never struggle. We sure don't prove to be his disciples when we become masters of wearing a happy face. Jesus is about to go out and die on a cross. We don't look like him when we're just putting on the happy face. We prove to be his disciples when we treasure up his commandments. Verse 10, just as I have held, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. His father's commandments are leading him to the cross. His father's will is leading him right then to the cross. That's where God's words lead. That's where his words in us lead to the cross, to cleansing. And the result of that work is joy. Not the cessation of difficulty, not the elimination of struggle, joy, joy in it. Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. He received all kinds of shame, but he despised it. 
And Jesus says here in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you. All this about you being cut back and pruned and the word working in you, the Lord cutting back what shouldn't be there. All these things I've spoken that my joy may remain in you. You yield to the, the vine dresser's hand and you will have joy. And your joy may be full. Because that's what the vine is for. Blessing. To demonstrate the joy, the celebration that is the kingdom of God. God is committed to the health of his vine. He is committed to the health of his church. His honor and his glory are displayed when the grapes are abundant, his honor and glory, it's on display when all the nations are blessed. He will cleanse and prune his vine. This, this body of people, as a, as a people, he will cleanse and he will prune. And that means he'll cleanse and prune us by setting his hand on each one of us. Collective pruning happens by the pruning of the individual. He's going to do it, and it often won't be comfortable. Full of joy, yes. Comfortable, no. Cutting back is never comfortable. And as we've seen... And Jesus has told us, we join our Lord in this refining work when we hold fast to his words and let them do their work. We abide, he cleans. The word of God does the work of God in the way of God. We cooperate when we hold it. The word of God does the work of God in the way of God. Let's pray. Lord, we want that. At least part of us, somewhere in us, wants that. We wouldn't be here. We would not have come to a gym at an elementary school if we didn't want that in some way. Lord, would you give us a willingness to yield up all that we are to you, to let your words correct us, to admit the central thing that apart from you we cannot do anything. There is no good in us apart from you. So give us faith. Faith to yield in Jesus' name.